0: All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think. 1 Thessalonians 3. Oh, she woke up. Oh, goodness. No, that's okay. Oh, no. Uh, If I sang, not good. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this evening and um, the time we get to spend in your word. And um, The songs really blessed our hearts, and we pray that they were a blessing to you. As we sang of you and our future with you and our home with you, it brings us peace and comfort. And we know that it was for the joy that was set before you that you endured the cross. And so we know you're equally as pleased with uh, the future for us. And so God, as we study your word, as we maintain and occupy until you come and bring us home to you, I pray that you help us to understand your word. Help us to live a life of dedication to you, um, of honoring you, of faithfulness, because of all you've done for us, Lord. And your word helps us with that. It teaches us. And we pray that we're, we're teachable tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is blessing this church in Thessalonica such a a lovely group of people. And uh, it's a short chapter tonight, but I have a lot of cross references um, for good reason. As Paul takes us through this chapter, leading up to what we sang about tonight, actually, um, the coming of our Lord and what it means when we die and where we live and uh, after that takes place and how we live up until that takes place. Tonight, he focuses a lot on um, just trying to bring them comfort. And I saw some things I hadn't seen before, which is good. Um, it's always precarious, I think, when I teach something I've taught several times before to uh, to fall into just, I know what to say, you know. And, I, and I'm not going to go beyond what's written, but I really saw some really beautiful things, beautiful uh, places in Paul's heart that I think he gets across pretty well in this text. So we'll, let's get to it. Verse 1, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul's concern for his imprisonment and his trials was that somebody else's faith might fail because they thought, well, God must not be with them. And I think that's a common theme through this whole chapter. If Paul's put in prison, maybe God isn't real or what we believed isn't real and bad things happen to bad people. Everybody knows it. And therefore, and he says, we couldn't stand it anymore. Wondering how you were doing. I had to send Timothy to you to make sure that you knew this was normal. We told you about this ahead of time that this would take place. In fact, you may go through some of it too. But that it doesn't mean that we're failing or it doesn't mean that we're doing the wrong thing. It means that we're actually doing it right. If Christ suffered, we're going to suffer also. And so Paul's first words here, when we could endure it no longer, wow, you know, what a heart he has for this group. Not, I don't know how much more I can take, which is usually the focus of most people. I don't know how much more I can put up with. I don't know how much more I can. Paul's like, see, there's there's a limit to how much I can take, honestly. I, 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 I can... I have lots and lots of things put on me responsibility-wise. I know I've got too much on my plate when I begin to handle those responsibilities in an inappropriate way. When it begins to affect, the amount of responsibilities begins to affect how I handle those responsibilities. Flippancy, maybe curt, a little short you know, tempers a little on edge, maybe not losing my temper, but uh, I make sure everybody knows in the room that they're bothering me kind of thing. You know, that's when I know I've taken on too much. I've got a lot of things, but I'm not doing any of them. Well, I'm just barely squeaking through it. You know, Paul could handle a lot and you learn to handle a lot by letting God put more on you, learning to deal with it, how to cope, how to how he would want you to respond, and and he gives you a little bit more. Nobody nobody gets it all at once. I never gave you more than you can bear. Jesus promises us that. But I I will give you more, you know, as you begin to develop that ability and maturity to be able to walk. Paul could handle a lot. He's in prison. He's the one getting beat every day. He's the one that has to have Luke, the personal physician, alongside to patch him up to send him back in, you know. And his concern was, oh, I hope I don't lose anybody, you know, as he's patching up his wounds. I don't want them to think that, that something's gone wrong in Christianity. So I wanted to talk to you and tell you and, and send to you Timothy to talk about these afflictions, which we told you about. These are trials that are, that are going to happen. These are tribulations, not the tribulation, the big one, Revelation 6 through 19, but Tribulations. We're all going to go through these things. And these are to be expected. And this is what tries us. And this is what matures us. And this is what not hardens us, but toughens us, maybe. Ability to take on more, to be able to handle more, to be able. And and of course, the ultimate goal of all that is not to give us a hard heart, but the ability to help other people through those times. That's why he does it. So in Luke chapter 22, verses 27 through 30, for who is greater, Jesus says, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. It's just letting him know, you know, when you go into a big palace and some guy comes up to you with his silver tray, which isn't what he's talking about here, but that's how we can picture it. You know, the butler comes in, would you like an hors d'oeuvre kind of thing? You know who's important and who isn't based off of who's carrying the silver tray. And so Jesus is just pointing something out to them. Who's greater, the one who's being served or the one who's serving? Yet I'm coming to you as a servant. He's just trying to get them to think right, you know. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. That's the part I underlined. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he doesn't even answer verse 27. He just gets them to thinking, look, there's a bigger kingdom going on here. It's my kingdom, the kingdom that the father has given me. And I am excited that you've been with me through these trials. Jesus commends them. It's rare that he commended the guys, right? But he commends them. You've stuck with me through these trials. And They must have. It must have been hard following Jesus. They weren't always arguing about who was the greatest. They weren't always tired and trying to get Jesus to send groups of people away. We kind of focus on that a lot of times. Jesus recognizes the stretching that's taking place in their lives. He recognizes the stretching that's taking place in your lives. And he's excited for you that you stuck with him through the trials. You know, I find it interesting sometimes, and I've just been thinking about this more and more, it's one thing to be mad at God because something bad's happened in your life and you're just working things out with him. I understand that. I think that's normal. I think God's got big shoulders. He's a father who wants to reason with us and talk to us about these things. Not for too long, but he does tolerate it. It's a whole other thing to have something bad happen to you and just say you don't exist. That doesn't even make sense, you know? <laughs> to to just write off just to write him off because something bad happened to me. Well, that that's like getting in an argument, in your wife and saying, I'm mad at you. You don't live. You don't exist anymore. You never did. Well, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. You know, Jesus is very happy. That they continued with him through the trials. They haven't left him. They haven't forsaken him. They will. We know that it's hard, but I like this moment that they have with him. And because you've, Continued with me in my trials, and please hear that tonight. If you're continuing with God through your trials right now, and it may be just barely making it through, but you're continuing with Jesus through your trials. I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's why I love that song tonight. What a perfect song where we sang my child, enter in, well done, you know. And most of us are going to be like, I mean, I know I made it because of the blood of Jesus, but well done, that's a stretch, Jesus. You know, that's a stretch. Not to him. Look what he's saying to the guys who are always arguing, who are always saying, can we just send him away? I mean, we're all tired. It's been a long day. I bestow upon you a kingdom. Later on for trials, James, James is a tough brother. We know that. So we know what he's probably going to say about trials. And he does he does live up to his reputation here. My brethren, brothers, count it all joy, (laughs) you know, okay, James, you know, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's only for your good. Now, anybody that's been in the military knows what this is like. When a when a guy with you, or a gal, I guess I don't know how many of you gals were in the military or whatever, would fall or stumble or fail at something, and our job as your friends is to laugh at you when you fall. That's just what we do. you know. <laughs> Oh, you're digging another hole, you know, or you fell off of that, or oh, boy, you better get back, you know. We we thought, and one of the funniest things, we have this this line, that's, it's, I don't know, I, I exaggerate because I was, everything was bigger back then, I don't know, but we're on the tower and there's a there's a cable that runs from the top of the tower over a big water pit down to a place where you can get off and you're supposed to do a slide and put your, your foot over and you do this and you leg, hang your leg down and you slide down this cable, you know. And there were some guys that were just terrified of heights. So you know what we did as we're watching these terrified guys. We just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, they were just terrified to get on this cable. So I kind of count James that way as one of those guys, you know. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not always joyful. Now we've got another good brother, Peter. Peter. I like the way he puts it. Now, he's a tough, rough fisherman who probably made fun of all of his guys that were fishing at one point. But when he came to Jesus, he got softer. In this, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 of First Peter, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Isn't that funny? Two good, solid brothers. One says, count it all joy. It's good for you. Rub some dirt in it, you know, kind of thing. Or rub some dirt on it. And Peter's like, hey, it's just a little thing. It's, and you might, and it's going to be hard. But, and I know it's going to be grievous. But so take your pick who you need each time you go through a trial. And you can pick one of those two verses. But both are okay. Both are okay. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Just an encouraging, wonderful section of Scripture from Peter of all people, you know? And then finally, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, later on in that same book, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, don't ever forget that, he's saying. You're beloved of God. Do not think it strange. Concerning the fire, tri- fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I do know it's sufferings, Peter says, but I also want you to know that there's joy at the end of those sufferings because you've partaken with Christ in these matters. And that should make you excited. I've been on the right team if Christ went through this and I'm going something going through something similar to that neat you know i mean not neat horrible but neat that i'm 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 counted worthy to be able to handle something that Christ was commissioned to handle by his father and here it comes upon me now and so peter's just trying to say there's a bright side to this you got to look at it in the right way it isn't fun but What's happening to you? It's, it's, don't be surprised by it, first of all, he says. But second of all, it's producing in you. It's a good thing. It's trying you to show the genuineness of your faith. So... Paul is concerned that the Thessalonians are concerned that he's going through these trials and maybe something went wrong. He says, no, count it all joy. I'm grieved by it for a while and maybe you are too. But remember, this is to try our faith and to show us faithful to the Lord and show that it's genuine. Because if it wasn't genuine, the first sign of heat, fiery trial, you're out of here. You know, forget it. Can you imagine a fireman? Training and training and training and learning how to do the hose and everything and finally walking up to his first house full of fire and, and well, it's hot, you know, and dropping the hose and going home. A, no, no, no. <laughs> and as Christians, I think that's very important to understand. We're, we're having a Bible study tonight, but it's not so that we can get more knowledge. It's so that when we run into a fire, we know how to handle it. So don't count it strange when you find the fire, you know, because the fire is coming because you're training for it. So use your training and go into the fire, well-equipped, full of knowledge, confident in the one who trained you and has equipped you for this task. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, And that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. We sent Timothy because we weren't sure if you were falling off, if you jumped off the Christian wagon, if you decided to abandon your faith. But when Timothy came back and told us about how great things were going over there and how you longed to see us just like we longed to see you, we were so encouraged. In our trials, we heard of your faith, and because of hearing about your life, we live. Your life in Christ is causing me to live, and it does. We build each other up so much when we hear other people doing well or other people understanding. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 22, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Just a very good overview of how it is that we interact with each other. Psalms and hymns and speaking good things to each other saying oh you're going through it boy I'm praying for you man I can't go through it for you but I can pray along with you and go through it with you you know that's encouraging to know that there's people alongside of you that don't think that you're in it because you did something wrong you know that's the struggle here Paul's making sure that the Thessalonians don't think that Paul is suffering because he's God's mad at him you know and so when he found out that they haven't abandoned Paul and what he shared with them when he taught with them for three Saturdays, and that their faith is growing and they long to see him still, they haven't cut him off like, oh well, I don't know Paul. I don't know Paul. No, 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 we want to see Paul. We proclaim, we think Paul's great. I don't care if he's in prison. Paul's great, you know. It's nice, you know. It's nice. Along this, this is this is pretty far off topic, so bear with me. But as I was sitting here singing and I was listening to the songs, and we did several different kinds of songs, I was thinking how complicated and beautiful and accurate hymns can be, you know? They're deep. I mean, you've got you've got five uh, verses of, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, you got some solid doctrine in there. I love that. But they're no more or maybe maybe that's the wrong way to put it. I don't want to make it negative. They're as beautiful as some of the spirituals that came out of slavery, which were very simple, but deep and heartfelt, not a lot of words, not a lot of doctrine, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of anything, but just, Oh God, you know, swing low, you know, kind of thing, both. And every person, with their walk with Jesus, some are very eloquent and, and 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 have lots of words and 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 thankfully they do and lots of good solid doctrine and all that. And others are like, I can't say anything, but I just love the Lord. You know, simplicity as it, at its finest, with complexity at its finest, at the same way. I just appreciated that as I was sitting here listening to these songs and I this verse. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. None of them are better. None of them are worse. None should be excluded. Some are just spiritual songs. Others are deep hymns. Others are psalms that almost tell a story about a situation they went through as we're going through the psalms on Sunday. But all make melody in our hearts. Galatians chapter 4, verse 15. This is a beautiful way to look at Paul's eye problem. And we know that he probably had one because nobody says something like this in Galatians 4.15 unless they had an eye problem. Otherwise, that's a really weird verse. But here's what it says. When he was in Galatia, he's writing back to them. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, why do I pull that out? Well, because when the Galatians saw Paul's eye problem, they didn't say, hmm, I wonder if he's got an issue in his life and God is punishing him somehow. It must be exhausting to be those kind of people. Always guessing as to why people are going through the things they're going through. Just constantly looking and saying, I think, hmm, I wonder. Now, I don't want to take the fun away from you, but I can't help but think of when people are pregnant and you've got to guess whether it's a boy or a girl. It's okay and I participate too, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. But afterwards, what do we say? I knew it. I knew it. You did not know it. You had a 50-50 shot, you know? (laughs) Folks, God knows why people are going through stuff. I do not. But I, oh boy, we love to get in on it, don't we? I think this is what happened. I knew it. I knew it. You did not know anything about it. You didn't know what or who or why or nothing. You guessed right for once, you know. And the Galatians says, I don't know why you have an eye problem, Paul, but we're not going to think that it's God mad at you or that your doctrine is off or um, whatever. We'll just give you our eyes. What a sweet, wonderful thing. Now, what if they're wrong? What if Paul did have an eye problem? You know what? What did God see? God saw mercy and he saw grace coming out of the Galatians. Now they may have been wrong about why, but that's not what God saw. God saw grace and mercy come out of the Galatians. Well done. Well done. And I'm not saying we check our theology meters at the door. Of course not. Of course not. We always want to make sure. We just don't want to be in this situation. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I'm hoping the blind guy can't hear them. Can you imagine? See the blind guy? I'm blind, I'm not deaf, you know. Who do you think sinned, mom or dad, or did he do it? I'm hoping he can. not I'm hoping he's out of earshot. Probably not, because Jesus heals him immediately. So the guys are so desensitized to the problems of people, physical ailments around them. That they don't have a problem saying this in front of the guy who's blind. we got to be careful, you know. That's the other side of the coin. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, and then he heals the guy. No, he was born blind like this, not because of his parents or some sin he was going to commit, but because I was going to do a work today, and this is he was going to be used right now, you know, to show who I am to everybody around him. Now, it's been a tough 20-plus years for this guy being blind, but now he has... He's been used by God, you know? Interesting, I think. Now, to, to give these guys a break before we move on from that, although we will pretty quickly here, it does say several times in the Old Testament that Jesus or God, the Father says, nope, they're going to be blind for a while because they did not trust in me, and they're going to be blind because of this. And we do have the angels striking blindness. So it isn't that they're wrong about it. Some, sometimes that happens. God was very clear when he does that. You're going to be blind for a while, you know. And even Paul, a born-again believer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, blinds some sorcerer for a while. I mean, you know. So they're not wrong in their doctrine, but they're wrong in their heart, you know. Their job was not to decide, because they left out the third option, didn't they? Was it his parents or him? And that's what happens with us, because we don't know the situation. We got well. I know, obviously, it's only one of two things. With God, it can be there's a third thing, and there was. And we got to be careful about that. And so Paul is so glad to hear back from these people that they haven't written off Paul, that they're for him, not against him, that it caused them to just have new life in their hearts as they're in prison, as they're suffering, going through their trial. Oh, I'm so glad I've got a friend. I know I've got a friend in Jesus, but it's nice to have a friend in people who are in Jesus. You know? Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, he's not being mean. We just like to impart more wisdom of God and of his word to you. That's all. Whatever you're lacking, we want to give you more which is what he's leading up to in these final two chapters, of course. But he'd love to do it in person. He'd love to share more. I just want to fellowship with you, you know, that kind of love for each other. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 20, speaking of prayer, And they were helped against them. And the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Does prayer move the hand of God? There's a lot of articles. No, that's not what it means. It's not what it says. Okay. And I don't think that God is a puppet that we can pray him into our will at all. I'm not saying that. But we do have scriptural I mean, precedence here. They trusted in God in the middle of the battle and said, God, help. He says, oh, I'll help you because you put your trust in me. That's the reason I'm helping you because you put your trust in me and prayed to me during the battle. Pray. Pray all the time. Paul says, I pray without ceasing in other scriptures. Night and day, I pray exceedingly for you. I pray, I pray, I pray. Paul prayed, prayed, prayed all the time. That's how he ministered most of the time. Letters for sure, but I wonder how Thessalonica is doing. Well, I don't know. God, you know how they're doing. I pray for Thessalonica. I pray for all the believers there. I pray for, and he began to pray. He doesn't have to be there in person. He begins to pray for them to have victory, to have wisdom. I can pray for Africa. I can pray for Korea. I can pray for China. I can pray for Russia. I can pray for Ukraine. I can pray for England. I can pray for all these places and all the missionaries all over the world. I can just make my way around the world through prayer. And it's as impactful as if I was there. I don't know that we believe that or not a lot of times. I'm not I'm not calling you out. I'm the same way. But if I knew how impactful my prayers were, not necessarily moving the hand of God, but I do have precedence in First Chronicles five twenty that hey, you trusted in me to handle and take care of these missionaries, and you lifted them up in prayer, and I heard you and I did. Neat. We can pray. Here's another place where it seems to be very important to God. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, during the great tribulation period, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God and from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. I don't want to talk about wrath necessarily, because that's not where I think he's taking us in the text. But we do see a very clear uh, correlation between the prayers of the saints that have been saved. So there's a timing issue with prayer sometimes. Oh, God, when are you going to deliver? Oh, God, when are you going to judge the earth? Oh, God, when are you coming again? Oh, God, come quickly soon. You know, Maranatha. Well, I heard that prayer. I received that prayer. And I will answer that prayer when it's the right time. And now's the time, he says in Revelation chapter 8. Go ahead, angels. Time to answer these prayers. Put that on the altar. You know, and up comes the smoke and down comes the answer. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, now may our God and father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. It's the second time he said that now at the end of the chapter, right? Last week he said it too. He's coming with all the saints. He's coming with all the saints. Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. There is something about talking about the return of Jesus Christ that is not only purifying, but hopeful. It gives you life. It encourages you, and that's what he's trying to do. Yes, I'm going through trials. Yes, it's difficult, but I want you to know Jesus is coming, just like we told you, and he's coming with all the saints, even the dead ones we're going to talk about later in the next two chapters that you think missed the boat, but they're coming too. It's all going to be restored. It's all going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Now, some references here. I don't know that I can make this last 20 minutes, so I'm not going to try. Rod, be warned. We may have to hang out here for a while while Sunday school or Wednesday school finishes up. Just be warned. I don't want to drag it out for no reason. I mean, let's let's get to the point and enjoy the Lord. I want you to know Paul says, may our God and Father, it's up to him, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. I pray that he makes a way for me to get to you, but that's in his hands. It is not automatic, nor does my prayer that said that make it so. It's something I leave in his hands. Likewise, I I pray that um, you'd be holy. I want you to increase in love to one another. And I want you to to grow that you might be blameless in holiness. Mm. Remember that holiness is always the goal. It's always what we're aiming for. He's never content for us to be just unholy saved people. We're saved and the righteousness of Christ is given to us, but he does want us to, Be holy, for he's holy. He says it several times. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. Oh, that's Old Testament. No, we'll get there. Don't worry. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That's that's just for us to know what God's heart is for us. I want you to be holy. I want you to be pure. I want you to be undefiled. I want you to be separate. I want you to be mine. I don't want you mingling and mixing with the world. I want you to be holy and pure. Leviticus 19.2, eight chapters later. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God am holy. That's where fellowship is that's where the purest fellowship is I don't know if as as a married couple you ever feel out of sync with your spouse you know maybe they had their quiet time and you didn't you know and i don't mean that you're unholy but you just We're someplace else. That happens to me. Jenny might have a time at home in the garden and, you know, and the the cows and the chickens and, and the beauty and the green grass. And I come in with my screaming truck, you know, I've been in the world, you know, kind of thing. I've been doing deals. I've been trying to make things happen out there. And we meet up and she's like, you know, fluttering. And I'm stomping in like a, you know, an ogre. We just don't line up sometimes, you know. You know who's wrong, right? Okay. It's very clear. Well, when it, our fellowship, our closeness happens when I join her where she is. When I'm there. And that takes some time sometimes. Don't be judging me right now. It takes some time you know but i know what my goal is i don't want her to join me that's for sure nobody needs to go there you know we all need to get here so understand that god our father is seated and we will be seated with him right and jesus is seated now right well that's our goal is to join him in that place of rest and Holiness and beauty and perfection. That's where I need to get to, you know. Leviticus 20, verse 26, And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. God hasn't, he he wants us to be in the world, not of it. Yeah, I know the verses, and I agree. But We don't want to be off on some mountaintop and we don't want to be dirty by the filthy world out there. That's not what he's called us to be, but he does want us to be separate in our hearts to him. I don't need you to look like them, act like them, talk like them, be like them. I do want you to be among them. But I want you to be among them like Jesus was among sinners and tax collectors. He didn't become a sinner and a tax collector. He was among the sinners and tax collectors and they were convicted. That's why we have that. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I'm going to restore, was it twofold or fourfold? I don't remember. Twofold, I think. I'm going to give back twice as much as I took from everybody else. Yeah. Was it two or four? Was it four? Okay, thank you. Fourfold. That's awesome. Jesus affected Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't affect Jesus, you see. Our goal and God's goal is to join him in holiness. Now, well, that's all Leviticus. Okay. First Peter, that's his new Testament as we get right again, chapter one, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy and never changed. And he's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to believers. I want your conduct to be conforming to Christ. I want you to begin to be conformed into the image of Jesus because you were created in his image I want to take you there in your conduct, not just in some robe of righteousness that magically makes all my bad things good. It doesn't. It covers me and it's his righteousness, but he still wants me to walk worthy. He still wants me to be holy like he is. And so he calls us to that. I want you, Paul says, in your hearts to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that's purifying to know that Jesus is going to come back. He is going to find us wherever we are and wherever I am is where I want him to find me. You know, I don't want him finding me in certain places that would be embarrassing for both of us. I know he dwells in my heart, and I know I take him everywhere. But Paul is bringing that up for a point. Jesus is coming back with all the saints for you. Where are you? You know, Where will you be when he comes back? Where will you be in your heart? Where will you be in your physical presence? You know, I want to be in the right place. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a beautiful chapter. What a beautiful heart that Paul has. Lord, we thank you for his love for these folks. To, to encourage them, they haven't gone off uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a rabbit trail or something that was a waste of time in following Jesus, but it was worthwhile and what's happening to Paul and may be happening to them is a part of it. Help us to know that too, God. Whatever trials we're going through right now, maybe just making it or maybe really doing well. But these aren't to be a surprise to us, but they are to strengthen us, to stretch us, to equip us, to mature us, and to prepare us for more, Lord, not less. So I pray that you'd help us to go through these things well. We've been trained. You warned us. You've trained us. You've showed us. You've given us your word. We know what to do. We know how to do it. Help us to To engage, Lord, to act. Lord, I pray that you bless these folks and bless the kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten minutes early. Those kids aren't going to be ready yet, probably, so just hang back a little bit. Give them time for those guys to finish the things that they're finishing, and and then we can head back here in a little bit. If you want to pray with somebody, that would be a great time to pray uh, or fellowship as much as you want. And Anyway, have a good night.